severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job Hello and welcome to series two of Just Get A Real Job, the podcast where we speak to emerging creatives and creatives alike from across the creative industries. I am of course your host Jamie McKinley and it is great to be back doing this podcast again. It's been, it's been a while, it's been a couple of months, but no, it's, it's so nice to be back doing this. You have no idea how much I've missed this podcast, how much I've missed doing it and I'm just so happy that we're back and it's been great to start recording episodes again and yeah, I'm a little bit out of practice doing the intro. I'm like, what, what, what does I normally say again? You, you'll probably be able to hear it in my voice, but I'm currently kind of choked up with that horrible non-COVID cold that everyone seems to have at the moment. So I might sound a little bit different in this week's episode, but just go with it. But it's a really, really good one to kick off series two of the podcast. We have a great episode for you lined up today with James Capal, who is, a, I probably said your second name wrong. I always do this, James. I'm very sorry. But James was a great guest to have on the podcast. He is a screenwriter. He's written on shows like the British comedy drama Cold Feet, which is a long-running series. He's written on that before. Uh, James has also got lots and lots of exciting projects in development. And he co-runs and is a co-founder of an incredible online screenwriting community called Scribe Lounge. And if you're a screenwriter, I cannot recommend it enough. Um, And we talk lots about that, among other things, in this week's episode. But before... I let you hear this week's episode. I thought we would give our wonderful editor in chief, Elliot Mitchell, a quick call to see how he's getting on. What are you wanting now? I told you earlier that um, when I recorded the intro, I'd, I'd give you a phone to see how you get on. How you get on? Hello. Do I have to talk to you now? Right. Okay. Are you, are you doing the edit for this week? I am doing the edit because yeah. I've missed it. So are, are, are you excited? Are you excited for series two? I am actually. To be honest, I'm really dedicated. I mean, just today I've bought this new desk, so Amazing. I've got a new setup. I'm ready to go. Yeah, hopefully it'll be good. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? We both really missed it. That's why I wanted to call you because you're the only person in the world that understands like how much passionate I am about the podcast. So. Well, yeah, it just keeps party. me proactive, really, because otherwise, I mean, for the past month, I've just been, I felt really dumb and just unactive at all without doing the edit. Aww. So, you know, it always keeps me, always keeps the fire alive, really, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, we didn't really mean to take eight weeks off, to be fair. We were only going to have a couple of weeks, but we've, we've listen, had very busy lives, haven't we, Jamie? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Ironically, I ended up getting a real job. So that kind of... <laughs> Oh, he never shuts up about it, honestly. It's in the creative industry. It's, kind of, it's not really a real job, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it ended up being very busy September, but no, it's exciting. And I may as well just tell the listeners, but I somehow managed to end up get a placement as a script editor with STV. So there's great news for this podcast because it means we now might be able to get access to some bigger guests and it's really exciting. And it's just great to be able to share experience with us. But no, Elliot, you've been quite busy as well. You've been doing quite a lot of random stuff, haven't you? been writing new music so i've Very been excited. proactively been doing that whilst i've not been doing the podcast yeah. edit so that's been really good yeah but anyway series two we'll keep the intro very brief because we'll probably chatting on but series two very very exciting we've got some amazing things that i can't wait for people to hear but this week's episode is great and I've, as i was saying in the intro as well i've been choked with the cold so i hope this week's edit's not been too annoying for you no 
Hopefully not. And if it is, I will complain and you will get the well, anyway, Elliot Mitchell, I'm giving you the honours. Would you like to introduce to the listeners Series 2 of Just Get A Real Job? And now, series ladies two. and gentlemen, officially we kickstart Series 2 of Just Get A Real Job. Yes, here we go. Thanks, Elliot. Have a good <laughs> one, all right? Enjoy this yeah. week's episode. Hi, James. How are you doing? It's lovely to meet you. Oh, hello. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Pleasure to be to be asked on. Thank you very much. No, it's fine. As I was saying to you just before we started recording, this is the, the mm. first interview I've done probably, I think it was end of July, maybe the last one, start of August, uh-huh. last recorded. So we'll see how this goes. I'm also choked off that horrible non-COVID cold that everyone seems to be getting just now. So. Oh, it's all right. It gives you that sort of gravelly <laughs> tone, very Radio 4. It's absolutely fine. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was hoping that myself. So, yeah, the listeners will be like, who's, who's this speaking? It doesn't sound like Jamie. <laughs> this guy taking over. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's lovely to have you on. First of all, I mean, I know you're a screenwriter and obviously you run an amazing mm. community called Scribe Lounge, which is just great, which we'll, we'll talk loads no, about. Uh, to start yeah. off, I'll maybe get you to just, just introduce yourselves for the listeners, first of all. Sure. So my name's James Capel. I'm, yeah, primarily a, a screenwriter and I work mainly in the UK in television and I have lots of sort of stuff in development and things like that that's primarily where my job is at um, and then at the same time yes I create I was I co-founded a community basically an online community platform for screenwriters called Scribe Lounge and it's a free community and we only launched back in November but it's we're on the cusp of a thousand members now so yeah, it's, it's like completely got out of hand basically yeah. it was a lockdown experiment that's got completely out of hand in the nicest way possible <laughs> it sounds a bit like this podcast actually do you know what I mean it's a lot a lockdown <laughs> yeah. experiment which became something and you're like oh my god people actually are involved in this I've got to keep doing it <laughs> a happy accident you know yeah. where people are glad you did it they're glad you did it you know absolutely no well I'm, I'm a member of Grey Blange myself and I'm not so much been doing a lot of writing recently but it's great just to have a look in and see what people are doing it's it's a great community yeah. but I mean, we'll, and we'll talk loads about that in this episode i'm sure but Absolutely. just to wait to wait back a little bit we like, we sort of like to start yeah. the podcast by asking everyone that comes on what are your sort of earliest creative memories do you remember as a youngster like getting into writing and stuff like that do you know what i do yeah it's kind of it goes all the way back to like literally playing with toys i was like a i used to create tv shows when i was like a, a six-year-old and i used to write out tv listings and i would play certain games in order like they were coming onto television so it was like really kind of in my brain from really early on but much like most people i was just writing stuff at school you know i was writing plays and things like that yeah. with my mates just trying to make each other laugh and trying to make the assembly laugh or whatever it was <laughs> at school you know and I, I was I always wanted to be an actor that's what I thought I wanted to be because basically I just enjoyed asking about in front of loads of people and making people laugh so that's how I learned to kind of create and make stuff so I was already writing plays by the time I was sort of I don't know nine or ten I think I was properly yeah. the first time I remember sort of properly starting to write stuff but again it was selfishly for me that's who it was for. It was for me to make people laugh. And it wasn't until I kind of started taking it seriously when education progresses and you have to start making life choices that I decided to sort of start taking it seriously, I suppose. Yeah. So so these sort of plays you were talking about and stuff at nine, ten year old, like were they sort of so you could act in them yourself and like make people laugh? Or and was was that sort of the essence of it then? Absolutely, absolutely. I think the first one was was a school assembly in primary school and we had we had to do a project where it was about World War Two. And me and a friend were playing two old men on a bench, just talking about (laughs) the war. And like, I wrote this whole sketch where we kept trying to talk to each other, but we couldn't hear each other. And then one of us would have a heart attack, but then be all right. And it was like complete slapstick. And it was, but the the roof came off, you know, in terms of the audience. It was the first time I was like, oh, this is, this is fun. This is great fun. And then I kind of got a reputation then at school about school plays and writing stuff. 
And so they just kept coming to me to write school plays and that kind of got a groove into like GCSE as well. I then met some friends in GCSE and we wrote a play that not only sort of did well at GCSE, but then it got taken on as the school play and then got (laughs) its own kind of night. And then it was replaced as like a Christmas play as well. We did like a Christmas special and stuff like that. <laughs> so in terms of school, we were like favourites and we really enjoyed it. And it, that was my first kind of real taste of really enjoying writing. I was working with two other guys who were like really clever and funny, but I was definitely the one that wrote everything down and tried to Amazing. decipher it, tried to kind of put it into stuff. And it was all just because we were trying to wind each other up. We were just yeah. trying to make each other laugh. And I didn't, I never realized that the writing part was the important bit later on. I thought it was the <laughs> acting part, you know, I yeah. thought it was what it was all about. That's why mm-hmm. I pursued it. That's really interesting, actually. Yeah. And you know, you, you just brought back up, you know, when you remember something you haven't thought about in years, just you were talking <laughs> about being on a bench with World War II stuff, you totally brought this back to me about the same age as you were when you were writing those yeah. plays. When I was nine or 10 as well, I think me and some random folk in class did like a sort of similar type thing where we got like chairs and we made a play about world war ii and we were playing like italian refugees or something incredibly stereotyped probably as well but i'd forgotten that ever happened so it's just come flooding back well you do don't you because they're like school projects and you have to like fully immerse in it and like you know as kids you you're only playing with the information you've been given so yeah it's Uh, great fun moving those tiny little plastic chairs around and yeah just running around the stage like idiots yeah just taking the the chairs off like people could see you taking them off and you'd pretend it's mid scene and everything yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) absolutely until you get to GCSE when you get proper blackouts and things like that and then that's when it gets really exciting you can do it in the dark yeah well to sort of touching on that that sort of age of things another question we ask which is one of my favorites actually but it's about how where you're from has sort of had an influence on you as a creative and as a writer and stuff so where are you actually from there's something i don't know i'm from somerset and i'm okay. i'm here now so i left yeah. somerset and and I lived in london for a long while but i've come back to kind of raise my family i guess but yeah i, I grew up in somerset so on the coast oh, a small town called Bur- burnham on sea which is next to like western supermare and bristol and on the channel basically and i probably don't i, I wouldn't have seen the creative effects until much later on until I started screenwriting and then I started really understanding how much of an effect the town the atmosphere where I'm from how coastal drama like that you know coastal settings really affected me and how unique my town was to my upbringing because like it was a relatively safe place to grow up Mm. we had like lots of space and there wasn't much you know it wasn't growing up in 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 a city or anything like that so yeah when it came to screenwriting later on it really had an impact I think early on not so much I think we were just kids at school asking about just like anybody else you know but the influence really had an effect later on in fact I ended up the the spec script that I first wrote that got me my agent was set in my hometown and it was about you know a small child getting trapped in the mud flats on the beach and the ripples and repercussions of that and how that you know and a real drama around it. it was about the community and everything like that and that was what opened every door for me like really opened the doors to the industry and it was based in my hometown, what it was all about. So, yeah, huge, huge impact. Yeah, no, that's great. It's just something that comes up time and time again on this yeah. podcast is, is hometowns and stuff. And I've, I found it interesting what you were saying there, like how like maybe didn't think about your hometown being that influential until later in life. And then you're like, oh, actually, this is like has had more of an effect yeah. than I thought. Yeah. At the time, you think it's boring, don't you? Yeah. Especially yeah. if you're from somewhere small and boring, yeah. you know you just assume it's like every other small and boring place and if you're ambitious in any way you can't wait to leave or you can't wait to see what's outside of it and yeah as soon as I reached 18 I left for London to go to uni because I thought it was boring I thought it was the shittest place on earth but it's only later yeah when I started setting drama there I I realized the the drama behind it and I realized that it's an element of the world that 
isn't seen a lot. I grew up in really kind of working class areas as well. So I, yeah. my mum had me very young and we lived in sort of homeless hostels and, and council estates oh, wow. and really kind of went up the rungs. She did, she worked really hard to basically pull us up to, to middle classity. I'm using my air quotes there. <laughs> for, for the listeners, he's using it. For the yeah. listeners. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but she, you know, so it was those kind of roots that I just, again, I didn't think much of at the time. I just thought they were they were just how we all grew up. And it wasn't until I started writing, I realized, no, that's not how everyone grows up. It's very specific to me. Uh, and the, the, at the time, like growing up in the 90s in a, in a working class Somerset area, people think that Somerset is all just rolling hills and, and farmers, which it is, you know, there's a lot of that. But also there's some pretty shit parts just like everywhere else. So that's when I started really writing about the place and how the place is kind of interwoven with who I am as a person and how it's kind of, yeah, really influenced me as I've, as I've gone forward. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And um, again, very interesting. Like something I totally relate to what you mean. Like I moved, I moved away from my hometown at 18 to Edinburgh. I'm still here now, to be fair. But like when I was <laughs> writing, my hometown constantly would just come up and work and you're like, oh, and you, and it's, as you say, you don't because you yeah. think like you realize how unrepresented it almost might be. Or, you know, especially if you do come from an industrial working class place or a small place, you're like, oh, it's more interesting than the city. Everyone writes about the city. So, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's about writing about those corners of, uh, of the earth and, and also importantly, how it links to you and how kind of yeah. it's influenced you. And even if you take yourself or your experiences and place, you know, your characters in other places, they can still be affected by how they grew up somewhere yeah. else you know and you can Absolutely. still bring that along and bring it into the story so yeah it's yeah it's a great question to ask people because it's hugely influential <laughs> i think I absolutely really think well the, the next sort of question is like a sort of extension of this which has always been one of my favorites as well i love this question it's really fun but do you have a favorite word or phrase from somerset that you'd like to share with us that's unique <laughs> to that we well we have <laughs> we being from somerset we've obviously got a lot you know we've got a lot of a lot of words and phrases from down here of where we're from <laughs> and all that and and most of the time it's completely inaudible so you don't yeah. really know what people uh, are going on about but one of my favorites was always from my granddad who was like a proper old school Somerset boy grew up in the fields and didn't really even learn to read or write even though he became a lorry driver later on in life I don't know how he got around without being able to read and write and it's it was quite a simple phrase but he would just say um what's no what's no then boy <laughs> And uh, you'd be like, basically, he's asking you, what's, how you doing? What's on? What's no? Here, what's no then? That's great. And it makes no sense to anybody. You just think like, you just see people blink at him, not knowing what he's talking about. But yeah, that's probably, that's probably my favorite <laughs> phrase because it's so completely inaudible. Yeah, it's great. You're giving me hot fuzz vibes here, actually. You're making me think about that's, my favorite films. Well, yeah. that's Wells. So that's basically it. I live probably yeah. about 25 minutes away from Wells <laughs> and I know it very well. And that's exactly what it's like. Yeah. Exactly. My favorite films, yeah. actually, that film. Love yeah. it. Great. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a beauty. It's an absolute beauty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. What did he say? He said, how's his head? He only chopped him down because he couldn't see the view no more. What's he mumbo? What did he say? He said, an edge is an edge. He only chopped it down because it spoiled his view. What's Reaper moaning about? Uh, well, just to sort of take us back again, so you're talking about as a teenager writing and wanting to be an actor and stuff. What's like sort of your next moves after like school then? What, where do you end up? So I wanted to be an actor. 
that's, that's all I thought I wanted to do. That's all my heart was set on. And I think it, like I said, it stemmed from just pay, making an ass of myself and making people laugh. And But for some reason, I decided that I was going to go to university and not drama school from A-levels. I did A-level drama like everybody did yeah. because I, I think I wanted the university experience. Yeah. Not realizing that you would get a university experience at drama school. I just didn't. I thought they were two separate things because I didn't yeah. know what I was talking about. So anyway, I, so I went off to uni in East London. I went to Queen Mary in East London and did a drama degree. But it turned into it was kind of missold to us, actually. And it ended up being more about performance art than it was about drama. So I was a proper straight drama kid. I wanted to act. Yeah. I wanted to write plays. I wanted to perform. And it was about art. And it was about sort of weird art. It was a lot of going to going to shows about watching like middle-aged white men bleed on a stage for 45 minutes or <laughs> watching a woman roll around in the dark until the lights come up and she puts a dress on and everybody in the audience is crying because they think it's just the most moving thing they've ever seen. It was just something that I was not ready to take seriously because I wasn't there for it I just it was completely missold so it was three years of the education was wasted on me but I met some of the most amazing people that I've you know that I've kept with me and I will keep with me for the rest of my life but education wise it was completely useless and it wasn't until afterwards then I went to drama school I did an MA at Central School of Speech and Drama after that and that's when I properly learned about acting and acting for screen and 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 kind of really got into it and then graduated from there and got myself an agent and started kind of trying to get work really and I for about three or four years I work a working actor again air quotes working actor <laughs> I, I I got occasional jobs and I was in tons of commercials and yeah I was on a couple of hospital dramas and and auditioned for every soap role under the sun and then that's what got me into it. And then it was that's when I started writing alongside. Basically, yeah. I was writing scripts alongside. I found my love for TV again. I'd heard about the BBC Writers Room as I graduated from drama school. And that's when I started writing scripts, like proper scripts yeah. for TV. And they were shite. They were absolutely rubbish. <laughs> but that's when I started to learn. That's when I started to learn again and again. So I was writing alongside things and kind of, you know, just trying to figure out who I was as a writer and how it worked. And then eventually after writing and writing and writing and writing and sending it to people and getting nowhere, eventually that's when I landed my agent in writing. And, and, and that kind of blew things open for me because it, he, because it was an amazing agent at the at a top agency and it just blew the doors wide open. And so I stopped acting. I, I realized, you know, I think writing is what I want to do. I'm just more comfortable writing. I, I, that's what I find satisfying. Whereas acting, I felt I was too self-conscious. I was too tense. I was never going to be a, a great actor because I couldn't get my ego out of the way. I couldn't get out of the way. You know, the best best actors were always the ones that can just, they got nothing in the way. They Other than character, they're just straight into it. And I, I couldn't physically get my body to do yeah. that. Whereas I could do it on the page. I could, I could get to it then. I could get out of the way and get stuff on the page. So that's how that kind of transition happened basically oh that's that's just really interesting i appreciate how like you'll be very honest about that as well about the ego thing and being an actor like it's very common though a lot of people start yeah it off is thinking, yeah it's because it's in it's, it's because it's what it's rooted in i think mm -hmm. my ambition was in the wrong place i think i wanted to act because i wanted to show off and i wanted to kind of you want attention, I guess, which actually I hate. I hate attention, really. I'm not confident with it. So it was kind of all a bit of a lie. I didn't really. There were, and that meant there was no satisfaction when I was acting because I was always thinking about what I looked like and how it worked and how it kind of was going to translate onto the screen. And then when writing happens, that ego is removed because you're not in it. 
you're not involved you know you're, you're know. completely removed and these characters are not you they're speaking from a different place and I was so much more comfortable and when I first walked into a meeting as a writer for the first time with someone having read my work and liking it fortunately I just felt like I was treated totally differently I was just treated mm-hmm. like a normal human you know I wasn't being judged from head to toe what I was wearing what you know what I looked like that day how I fit with the rest of the cast you know just exterior nobody cared about the length of my stubble nobody cared you know (laughs) whereas it was really important two days ago in an audition for like you know hair gel or something like that so yeah it was a big transition and it was both it's taken me years to figure out why I, I was never destined to be an actor and why writing is that thing because it's that real personal gratification and that's that's why it's so joyous yeah no absolutely no that's, that's really a, a lot to unpack there but it's really interesting like I, I I just so common I've had quite a few guests that started off as yeah. an actor and then realized they wanted to be a writer or do something else like I mean I did a bit of acting in my late teens as well but I I, yeah. sort of, I think I was maybe luckier that I learned a lot earlier on before even when I went to uni I was like no 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 I can't I can't do this it's like not for me like I feel that I totally get what you mean about the ego, <laughs> the ego thing getting in the way and being like I like yeah, the yeah. attention of this but also I'm not comfortable with it yeah so I totally get and, and, and a lot of people do they do you know they're able to do both because yeah. you could write and be in something and I think for years I thought oh I'm gonna write stuff because I and maybe I'll be in it maybe that's different maybe I'll feel differently about acting once I've written it but the longer I've gone the more I realize now I don't I don't want to be in it at all that I'm going to leave it to people who know what they're doing and and kind of you know can really get the best out of it without without me muddling in it you know, no, absolutely. And I, and I think being creative, you sometimes confuse where you want your outlet as a creative to go. So you because you, wow. you're not really sure what the different areas are. So you're like, well, I'm really creative and I'm not, I feel like acting time I'm going to channel that. Or like, for example, I would, I thought I was going to be a director till I was about 22. I was like, I'm going to be a director. Yeah. I didn't know anything about directing. Do you know what I mean? I'm, and I'm <laughs> glad I'm not. I'm, I would be a terrible director. It's not something I probably ever will, will go into. But you know, that, I didn't know what it was, but you just think, oh, that's how I channel my energy. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Because you think, okay, I've got something within me. I love the craft. I love, mm. you know, from your point of view you're like I love the craft I love how cinema comes together I love how it looks I love seeing actors I love being kind of you know on a set and seeing it all work and and the mechanics of it all and so yeah you do try and pick a lane right you try and pick something that you think is is on the right path and it was the same I I thought all the things that led me down the acting path a lot of them are very similar to screenwriting you know it's that love for the craft it's that love for storytelling but it's just the mechanics it's just the Mm -hmm. actual bit that I enjoy doing is slightly different (laughs) Well, was something else I'll quickly ask you as well, because I mean, I'm sure it's a common question on Scribblinge and it's a common question to all writers because when I did my masters in screenwriting everyone would always ask this but like do you have any like sort of tips to people like how they might be able to get an agent or how you went about getting an agent and the process behind that just very quickly oh man I mean it's the biggest question it's the biggest question it's the question we get the most and I think it's so common for a lot of people and it's a massive it's a massive barrier it's really Mm -hmm. hard basically a screenwriting career is a series of barriers you know or hurdles that you have to get over and that's a massive one and then the next stage even when you've got an agent is trying to get stuff optioned and get in yeah get it developed yeah Yeah. absolutely and then and then it's trying to get it made and then it's trying to get it a second series made or it's trying to get it past a commissioner you know it's just there's always a rung to get past and and getting an agent is a really hard one for me I went down a route of sort of I had to go in cold because I came to London with no contacts whatsoever I did not unlike you I didn't do an MA or anything like that I Mm. didn't in, in terms of my craft I didn't do screenwriting I didn't have any qualifications in writing at all so I just had to write and write and write and at every point 
I would send the script out to whether it was enter it into the BBC writers room or I would send it to friends for notes and things. And uh, I was just kind of getting better. Then I started to, when the script started to get better, I started to approach agents and they were very dismissive at first and were like, no, this isn't good enough, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I would go away, write another script and then send it again. And then they'd be like, oh, this is all right. This is okay, but it's not good enough for us to, to consider you. So come to us when you've written the next thing. So I would go away and I'd write something else and I would try again, basically. And then eventually I wrote the script which again was about my hometown. I went right back to my roots and I really thought about the story that I wanted. It was the, probably the closest thing to, to me, the most sensitive thing I'd ever written. And it was the script that really nailed me as a writer and me and my style. It was the first time I really hit upon what my voice yeah, yeah. is essentially. And then all of a sudden I had a choice between two agents. Two agents came back to me. In fact, the agent I'm now with, I was coming out of Glastonbury Festival. (laughs) uh, Like I'd sent it off the week before and he'd email me back saying, we're not taking anybody on at the moment. So, you know, I'm really sorry, but uh, I'm it's just the way it is because he was a big powerful agent with lots of very famous writers so I forgot about it went off to get drunk at Glastonbury and I was in we were all in the car at like stupid o'clock in the morning coming home and I had a vo- and then you get signal finally when you leave Glastonbury <laughs> don't you you know and so and then I had a voicemail I had a voice voicemail from him saying I've read your script I love it and I want to meet you on Monday uh, if I or next week can I sort of thing and we all just completely lost our minds because we'd all you know shared in my my hard journey to get to this point point. and then yeah I had a choice I was lucky enough to have a choice between two amazing agents one who really wanted to get into my work and like really help me dissect it really kind of work on the craft of it and like really get into the nuts and bolts and then the other agent who I ended up going with who didn't want to touch the material at all he just wanted to let me go all he was going to do was introduce me to people and he was going to let me learn on my own and at the time that's what I thought I wanted and so I said yes I will take that thank you very much I'm very thankful that I did because amazing agent and I was introduced to so many amazing people but it took me a long time then to learn the craft on my own and get better and you know I've had to do a lot of that on my own so that's why scribe lounges ended up coming about because it's I think I missed out on that collaboration. I missed out on collaborating with people early on in my career. Which is so helpful. Yeah. So helpful. It's taken me like five years to learn things (laughs) that I should have known before I was meeting these amazing producers. So yeah. yeah. So that's how I got an agent. It was just basically emailing them cold, but very specific about who I wanted to send my stuff to. I wasn't just blanketing. I would never advise people to blanket email people or kind of bother people. You know, you've got to really understand where your work is at. You need to understand and get feedback from people to know and you need unanimous yeses from everybody saying this is brilliant this is brilliant this is you know Mm. this is ready at that point you know you should go to agents but you want to go to very specific agents you want to look at who's on their list what sort of writers they represent and kind of why you fit on their list it's really really important definitely that that, that's great i loved what you said about like you need the unanimous yeses from everyone that you're sending the script to but to read it before you send i think that's great it's so true as well i mean now on the other side of it working my new role as a script editor and stuff yeah part of my job is reading scripts and we're on a tight schedule and like we can only take so much and you, you like it's, I feel I hate rejecting a script. It's something I'm not very good at because I want to give everyone <laughs> a chance. But it's my job, do you know what I mean? And I'm like, sometimes yep. I'm like, oh my God, like I, I can't accept. But yeah, so we're really nitpicky. So like, you're right, it has to be like. Absolutely. Especially, when, you know, where you're at in terms of it's professional writers bringing you their work, mm-hmm. you know, 
when we're trying to write that defining script, the one that gets you an agent, you can really care about that one piece of material because it's so important. It's the one that has to define you in some way. It has to be your calling card, your sample yeah, script yeah. that's going to yeah. get you that meeting. But when you get to the next rung and you're just producing work in order to get it made, that, that preciousness has to go. It has to evaporate because we yeah. get no's and rejections on a daily basis because you should be sending work out and you're constantly making contacts. And so if I send my work to you as a production company and, and you as a script editor say, oh, it's not quite right. It's not quite what we're looking for or we've got something quite similar to it on our slate right now. I'm not going to take offense because yeah. there's lots of other production companies that uh, that will want it. They will. There will be a space for it and we have to learn to grow that kind of rejection thick skin, you know, after a while because yeah. it never stops coming. Those rejections never That's stop hard. coming. Yeah. yeah. How, how, do you, how do you find rejection personally? That's a question we actually ask a lot on this podcast. Do you, are you, have you been quite yeah. good? Have you had to learn that or have you always been not bad for it? Uh, no, I think it's, they, they, they have been impactful. I think the little ones uh, aren't so bad when you're first trying to get projects underway so mm. you know when i'm sending out a new piece of material to production companies it's normally people that i've met already so i've had a general meeting that's been yeah. set up through my agent so they already know me they already understand my work so there's already a bit of a shorthand there because they know what james's script is going to feel like then it's just about aligning tastes so nobody is ever rejecting it because they think it's shit you know and that's a really important distinction they're just rejecting it because like you just said nitpicky it's about yeah. really tiny things and aligning taste and getting those things to match up. So those little rejections, I really don't take personally. I think they're ones that we have to take in our stride and we just take the work back and we go somewhere else. It's the ones that you've spent two years working on that have gone to commissioners, they've gone to streamers and you're waiting mm. on decisions. I'm waiting on decisions now on multiple projects and it never stops being painful waiting. And either when when a project you really love falls, it doesn't stop being impactful, you know, because you care about it. You care about it. Yeah. But at the same time, you do have to learn to take it in your stride. So I probably it probably used to hit me harder for longer, the big nose when I'd worked hard on a project. But now I will give myself some in time you know i'll i'll have a bottle of wine and i'll kind of you know we'll mourn the loss over overnight and then the next day or a couple of days later you've got to get back on it and you've got to think yeah. about something else because ultimately i think you need to have lots of irons in the fire in order to keep yourself going so if one thing falls you can put all your eggs in a different basket basically so it never stops being harsh and brutal is the honest answer i think if you're impervious to rejection you're a bit weird but at the same time as writers, we do need to learn to eat it for breakfast, definitely. Yeah. No, thank you for, for again, for your honesty, James. I mean, it's, I mean, like rejection is never easy for anyone, like no matter what industry we're in in the arts, yeah. um, but it just sadly is part of it. One of our Scribe Lounge members, she has this lovely, Lilith, she has this lovely theory of like, she collects rejections. So she sets herself a target for the year of mm. collecting a hundred rejections. Like she's like, it's a jar. She wants That's to That's great. Up, like, I love because that. Because basically that means that she's got a hundred different times that she's made an effort and so something's going to happen if you fill your 100 rejection jar think how many times she's put herself out in the world think how many different connections she's made in those 100 rejections oh. you know and i think that's such a wonderful way of looking at things because if you only have like five rejections because you've been too scared to send anything out your opportunities are so much less than someone with a hundred rejection jar oh my God. you know what i mean and i think that's such a lovely way of looking at it don't that, you that's absolutely bro that's like you know you, you learn something every day or like your whatever <laughs> they call it quote of the day or anything that's great that's going to be getting used on lots of following podcasts so i'll make sure to credit uh would you say yeah, Lilith? Yeah. yeah it's lilith harris yeah that's not yeah, i'll not, make sure to get, I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll make sure to credit her when i bring that one up in future <laughs> absolutely episodes. 
Hello, it's Jamie here. You may have heard this advert several times before, but if not, this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated. And I mean, there's lots of podcasts. We all love podcasts. But it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth, and just telling friends and family to listen, or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful, not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcasts, please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash justgetarealjob, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. But no, I mean, I will, obviously we'll come on to talk about Scribeledge very shortly because um, it's amazing. But I just wanted to quickly ask you about your episode of Cold Feet. That you, that's something that's been made uh, and it's out there. Yeah. Do you want to quickly talk about that? Yeah, man. So it was one of the best experiences ever. I would still, although I've been, I'd had an agent for a while and I've been around the block development wise, I'm still pretty new because I'm mm. kind of trying to get stuff made and I'm trying to sort of get jobs in different rooms. And Cold Feet was an amazing one because I'd worked with Big Talk. They were one of the first production companies I ever met. And and they were like, oh, they were my favorite because, yeah, they yeah. made Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, Staced, they're great. You know, my favorite stuff growing up. So I was so amazed to work with them. And I worked on a number of projects I had in development with them personally. And then the opportunity came around to meet the producer of Cold Feet and, and Catherine O'Connor. And she was really lovely and kind of said, oh, I, I think your voice, your kind of voice is very sort of, you know, is, is in the world of Cold Feet. It's very prime time. It's very sort of, you know, it can fit, you know, it's very warm. And so she said, do you want to come along in the writer's room? And I was like, yes, please. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so I wrote a little sample to prove I could do it. And then I went on a charity bike ride from John O'Groats to Land's End, which was amazing, but it clashed with the first writer's room of Cold Feet. It was my first chance at getting a professional credit on an amazing prime time show and I couldn't go to the writer's room because I was on a bloody charity ride and I was even like <laughs> I was even like can I can we stop halfway through I think I'm pa- I'm passing Manchester at the time can I like just stop and I'll do the writer's room for a couple of days and then I'll go back on the bike and I'll carry on but it just didn't work out and so I missed the whole series of cold feet and Catherine was very sweet and she was like look we will think of you again we'll we'll come back around we'll think of you again so don't worry and she stuck to her word and so the next series came around and I was brought into the writer's room together with Mike Bullen and, and the other writers we I helped to plot the series I helped to kind of map out the series and break the story and and look at all their different sort of arcs and things like that and I had an idea for an episode that was based on the characters leaving the town that was leaving Manchester and breaking away and doing something separate yeah. so the boys boys climb a mountain and the girls go on some 80s revival weekend or something and they can both like learn a lesson to get like apart and then they'll all come together again and because I had such a a hand in this episode eventually they very sweetly gave me the episode to to write Uh, and it was it was just the best opportunity ever and it was all in between my son being born as well so I I wrote the first draft in a mad rush before my son was born and then they the whole of production were very sweet and were probably sweating as they waited for me to kind of resurface after a couple 
couple of weeks while I looked after a newborn to then complete the second draft. And then I worked together with Mike Bullen, the creator, and he helped kind of sprinkle that last bit of cold feet magic over it because he knows it obviously so well. Yeah. And then that was it. Yeah. And then it aired and it was a big triumphant moment. And it was January 2020 that it aired yeah. the, the series. And uh, I was really excited. And then in March is when COVID. Yeah. <laughs> so everything sort of, all momentum was broken. Everything was stopped. Oh, God. It was kind of, it fell a bit back to the drawing board. So it was, it was tough timing, but I mean, it was an amazing, amazing opportunity. Yeah. It was yeah. Great fun. No, thank you for sharing. That's, that's really, that's really interesting. And uh, obviously speaking of March 2020 and back to the drawing board, as you say, like it was an opportunity to, for us all to sort of reflect and, and out of it came Scribe Lounge, which is just incredible. So I'll just let you talk about it because... I mean, you'll, you'll do it more justice than me, I'm sure. Yeah, it was a mad, it was a mad time. Well, if, 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 if COVID, it was a good time for both my personal writing and then for Scribe Lounge. So if COVID hit in March, I wrote two TV specs during that first mm. lockdown because it was that first lockdown was almost quite nice. It was the first time everything stopped and it was like really weird and we couldn't do anything, couldn't go anywhere. And there was, we didn't know what the pandemic was going to become. So it was a lovely time actually. And I wrote two specs and they both did really well and kind of helped my career move forward. And then in the November of 2020, when we were allowed to see people again, I was chatting to a friend of mine and he kind of, he's very much in business and creating businesses. And he kind of said, is there anything in the screenwriting world that we can build the website for, that we can build a home for? And I was like, well, there's no kind of home for screenwriters in the UK. There's nothing that has loads of, there's places, websites that have resources, like, you know, BBC Writers Room and things like that. And there's so many great resources, but there's no real community. There's no yeah. sort of, you have Twitter, you have Reddit, but they, there's a lot of crap to get through on Twitter order to find all the writers you know you have to block a lot yeah. of noise out and you don't know who to trust and stuff like yeah, that as it's well, really yeah. hard it's all just you know it doesn't it's not a microcosm it's 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 just so much more broad and it's really hard yeah. to know where to start and what the hell is going on so yeah we decided can we can we build a community so he built the home page overnight and then, you know, we bought Scribe Lounge and I created a Twitter page and I just started following lots of writers. And we then as soon as we opened the gates, as soon as we opened the gates, it just took on a life of its own in terms of the ethos. The ethos was very much like we want to create that peer to peer support where UK writers or at least European writers can support each other, you know, and it's just a place where there's no judgment it doesn't have to be about badgering everybody to read your work all the time. You can ask questions in a safe space, you can share your work if you're proud of it, you can art, you can ask people to read your work if you want to put it forward, you can share blogs that you write, you can share podcasts that you make, but it's a safe space, whereas yeah. like Twitter, any person can find it and they can trash you if they want to, or ignore you or whatever, whereas this space just felt sacred, it was a sacred space. And then very quickly it's grown it's grown every single month and people just keep joining and as i say it's free to join so you know even if people log in once and don't don't like it that's fine that's 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 up to them but most people log in and they find extreme comfort in the forums that we have because yeah. there's people asking questions that they thought of themselves and it can be as stupid as like should i put my slug lines in bold you know how do i outline are there any good screenwriting books? How do I get an agent? You know, what are some good producers to look up? You know, that sort of thing. Am I too old to be a writer? You know, we've had every question under the sun. Yeah. And then we kind of took it a step further by creating the pro membership side where we, for kind of monthly <laughs> fees and things like that, 
we run writing groups and we run like Q and A's with amazing industry folk as well. Yeah, so it's been great. Yeah, actually, actually help people kind of get to that next level, and that's for the people that really want to be proactive in in improving as well, and and, and are happy to collaborate because not every writer we're solitary creatures, aren't we? You know, by nature, so not everybody's willing or ready to collaborate, but the ones that do, I feel get a huge benefit from it, myself included. What I've learned over the last year as a writer is insurmountable i've learned yeah. more about my writing and how i write and writing in general i've learned more in this last year than i have in my whole six seven year career wow that's... absolutely so it's been amazing yeah it's been amazing yeah. and continues to be so yeah can't say a bad word about it definitely no it's it's great and you, you mean you're nearly at a thousand members as well which is incredible yeah we're so... on the cusp of it and and and, you know, and and less than a month we're going to be a year old yeah it's a year since we launched so to hit a thousand members in, in a year has been really amazing and it's just the fact that the ethos has remained in that everyone's so welcoming and so lovely and supports each other at the beginning it was just me a lot of the time talking to everybody that would come through the gates but now when somebody enters scribe lounge and they either introduce themselves or they ask a question there's always loads of people answering that's great loads of people get involved in that and welcoming them and stuff and it's just ah it warms the heart it's amazing it's amazing i mean mean, as i I said to you at the start like i mean i'm I'm also a member of scribe and when i remember like i love this way you did the introduction you get to say who you are stuff and people are so nice they come and welcome me and things and, <laughs> yeah. i mean obviously i've not really been writing a lot recently so i haven't really been on much but i still will check in because it's just nice to read it even if you're not like participating it's great to just absolutely it's so positive. and people need that positive community and people need that collaborate it does wonders for people's confidence especially absolutely. as a writer it can be lonely as a writer so as you say, collaboration is so important. And because you think about the doubts and the fears that we have or that imposter syndrome, you know, yeah. even, especially if you come to writing, say, later in life, or if you come from a different background or a, a completely different career that's unrelated, you can go on to Scribe Lounge and you can find somebody else that's from a similar background. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are script editors that are writers. There are actors who are writers. There are lawyers who've become writers. <laughs> there are, we've got estate agents who are writers. Yeah, yeah, we've yeah, got yeah. people from everywhere. And so it's just knowing that even if you don't interact with them, because we have a lot of what we call lurkers. That's what happens on social media. Yeah, There's me. a lot of lurkers. <laughs> yeah, you know, and we do. I think I, I, that was me before I created a community. I, I was someone that just read a lot and I took comfort from what other people were talking about. Yeah. And that's totally fine. That's what it's all about. You know, if you take some kind of comfort or somebody answers a question that you've been thinking about for months that, or recommends a book that changes your life, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you don't have to contribute necessarily. You just have to be there. Well, I mean, it's going from strength to strength. I mean, every time I go on Twitter, honestly, it's like somebody's describing it's like, oh, I had a great set. Honestly, it's great. Because my, yeah. my feed's full of writers, of course, but like, it's great to see. And like, it comes up time. And I'm not just saying this. I've genuinely, if I'm ever in a group of younger writers or anything, and they're like, has anyone got any tips? I'll always be like, here's a link to Scribe Lounge. Go and check out this oh, community. It's great. Thanks, I'm, I'm, honestly, because I, I love the concept of it. And it's something, as as I said, like if I'd been doing my master's and that had been around, it would have been great. So do you know what I mean? It's, it's great yeah, to have it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thanks, man. That's really lovely of you to say. I mean, I've, I've if I'd have had it at the beginning of my career, it would have changed everything. It would have just yeah. changed how I write and how much detail I go into because the best part about it for me is reading other people's work and watching them progress and the amazing ideas that these people have Mm. blows my mind on a weekly yeah. basis and then what that does to me as a writer is it makes me work harder it makes me look at my own stuff and really interrogate how i can push it further how i can work harder how i can get above and beyond and honestly it's accelerated my own career because the projects have been so much clearer when mm. i take them out to town you know they they i'm i'm because i'm i'm i've learned so much that i'm able i'm getting better 
<laughs> I'm actually benefiting from 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 working from these other amazing writers, and we're starting to see people get signed to agents and it's like great, work great. with producers. And it will not be long before someone's getting something made and and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's incredible. And all of the guests that we've had as well as as Q and As, we've had like David Nichols. I know, I saw him. one of my favorite offers when I saw that. I was like, oh, I should have been a pro member to come to that. Like honestly, Luke oh, I, I, it's incredible. Yeah. And the fa- and the fact that we've had like people like that or like the Sky Commissioner or BBC Commissioner or execs from companies like Tiger Aspect or Big Talk, they're all just so willing. They're so willing to talk and offer their services for free, you know, just to help screenwriters and to help them on their career path. Oh God, it's delightful, man. And I, I've everyone just says yes. Everyone yeah. says yes. And it's the easiest thing in the world, you know, to kind of funnel everyone's positivity. It's yeah. glorious. Oh, no, it's, it's amazing. And obviously we'll link Scribble Engine and all that in the show notes of the show. So at the end, remember, go and check out Scribble Engine if you're not a member and you want to be part of it. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll start. I mean, we've been speaking for five minutes, so I'll try and rattle through a few more things I have, but I've got some, yeah, quick, fire, sure. some quick fire questions for you, which are, these are just sort of a bit of fun. Um, which sort of and You ask everyone <laughs> on the sort of podcast that these sort of funner questions. Um, but my first one is like, do you have a, a favorite character you'd ever written in one of your scripts? That I've ever written? Yeah, one of your characters. Oh, gold. <laughs> ah. Do you know what? It's probably someone I'm writing, because it's the thing I'm writing right now, and it's always the latest thing that you've been yeah, working yeah, yeah. on. I'm working on a character right now who's so unlike me that they are apocalyptically pessimistic which is really fun to write. Like they, I'm delving into the world of like conspiracy and like mistrust and how you can be completely disillusioned from the whole world. And so I've created this new lead character of this thing I'm writing who is an energy vampire, like from yeah. what we do in the shadows, you yeah, know, yeah, just, he, you know, it's one of those people that just has a theory on everything and is just insanely pessimistic. And it's possibly one of the most fun things I've ever written because it's a character that just affects everybody in the room, Great. no matter what, no matter yeah. what room they're in. So yeah, I'd say that. I just sort of segue on from that. Do you have a favorite character from any film or TV series that you'd ever watched that someone else has written? Do you have a favorite character? Ah, oh, geez. Do you know what? Do you know These what? are just, tough. They are tough, but do you know what? Just <laughs> only because it just popped up on my on my Twitter feed just a minute ago, just before I came on. It's 20 years ago, Training Day came out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it, Denzel Washington in Training Day is probably one of the greatest on screen villains of all time <laughs> because he's just so overpowering and charismatic and beautiful just beautifully crafted and then beautifully kind of executed as a mm. as a character and as a as an actor like performing in a role so yeah i would probably say oh god i've forgotten what his name is yeah uh, in, the, in the movie it's been a while but yeah denzel in training day we'll, ch- we'll chuck we'll chuck in an early in here that's a great chance for it to be in quarter million dollars you're holding right there in your hand over four million in here the first day on the job you hit a three million dollar seizure wait he said four ah taxation without representation brother nothing's free in this world you're lucky first day motherfucker buy your wife a minivan with that put the kids through college absolutely um, yeah. I, I just I did another fun question which is another tough one as well but if you could have written any film or tv show from history what would it have been? Oh man, I mean, you can have both of you on. You can have a show and a film. I'll be generous. <laughs> all right. Oh well, good because I've got two in my head. Because if it was a t- if it was a movie, it would be the Goonies. I would absolutely, you know, it's just 
every fabric of my being from growing up as a kid that you know marauded around on a bike looking for adventure and didn't find any, a pirate ship gutting but if it was a tv show wildly different it's the this is england series oh great particularly, so particularly yeah 86 and 88 oh, yeah. oh my god just completely gut punched me the the scene where woody and Lowell have been apart the mm. whole time and they come together right at the end of the series. Yeah, that's great. Just will forever break my heart. And I will <sighs> not ever, I will never not sob my heart out whilst watching it. And if I can ever create characters that I care about that much or an audience cares that much about, I can retire. Yeah. Oh, that's an that absolutely terrific show. I used to love, I have a photo of Woody somewhere around here, actually. You can oh, see my him. God. I used to you love know, yeah. Just such authenticity, just such like affection, but also that kind of absolute sucker punch of drama, you mm-hmm. know, and it's set in it's set in the real world, you know, yeah. it's, it's real drama. And I think we're kind of we live in a world of crazy streamer concepts, you know, heightened, heightened drama. And yeah. So it's so, so nice to come back to that every now and again. And I hope that we're going to come full circle and, and more dramas like that are going to either going to pop up again. Because I'd, I'd oh, really hope so. Show. I do really yeah, hope man, so. We might even get another This Is England at some point. We never know. Might get hey, you never know. Or... Yeah, you never know. We'll go and, we'll, we'll go and beg Shane. We'll go and beg <laughs> Shane Meadows, shall we? Yeah, that'd be great. Well, I have three more questions for you just as a wrap up. And these are, this isn't the fun ones now, just to warn you, just to be fair. I mean, I, I <laughs> These are not fun. These okay. are... <laughs> well, I mean, I still think they're fun, but they're not, they're not sort of in the same quick fire vein. No the worries. first one is, and this is a sort of newer question we've been asking, but um, what would you say your biggest creative failure today is? Because I think we can all learn from failure. It's a, I want I like oh. to see it as a positive. Oh, do you know what? It's a big one. And it's it was my failure to deliver a screenplay to Hollywood when they were expecting it. Um, it was a long story, but it was basically, I had the opportunity via my agents. I got a manager in the US mm-hmm. and they came over and I was riding the crest of a wave of another writer who had an amazing, they basically went over and pitched something that ended up getting made by Spielberg. Right, and right. it was this huge story. And I was the next writer to kind of go over and, and sort of ride that wave. And so I went over with a lot of optimism. I had this new manager and I wrote a TV spec, really excited about it. I wrote about snowboarders in California. It was like oh, amazing. Wow. And I was, it was really good. And I poured my heart into it. And I went over to LA and I did what they call the, the water bottle tour, which is where you go around to all the major studios and all the production companies and you meet loads of people. And because it's so hot in LA, you get a little <laughs> miniature bottle of water is the first thing you get given when you walk through the door. So you end up either <laughs> driving around in a Prius and you end up with a passenger seat full of empty, empty bottles the water bottle tour so i was going around and i'd gone to warner brothers i'd gone to sony and i I just all these amazing meetings and they'd all read my tv spec and it was going really well and it was it ended up getting picked up by a major production company and then while we were there the agency caa had heard that i was in town and that this was doing well so they wanted to meet me so i went into a meeting in their great big building on a road called avenue for the stars you know this huge marble building that looks like a spaceship and basically sat in a boardroom with a team of agents and my new managers and they asked me blankly what do you want to do what do you do what's your ambitions and i let loose and just told them what my dreams are and you know that I, all the things i want to achieve and it was amazing it was just and i came away my head was spinning and they you know it was just really really exciting and then the culmination of it was okay the the next thing i really want to do is i want to write a feature on spec that's just my own that then we can give to them to send out to everywhere and we'll go from there we'll kind of go from there and i came home and i usually work really fast in terms of if i've got an idea i'll go to script and i tend to write stuff really fast so if i'm writing a feature it will normally it should come out in about six weeks if i'm on my game but it took me six months 
to get this this feature together because I was completely crippled by overthinking and self-doubt yeah. and wondering what that story was. Basically, I didn't have the right story. That's what, well, that's what it came down to. I didn't have a story that was good enough, but I pushed it anyway. And because of there was pre-Scribe Lounge, I didn't know any other writers to talk to. I only had my team of agents who were basically just waiting for the material. So ultimately, I delivered something that was well below par and I, I, I didn't like it. I, I wasn't, I didn't like it. They, they, they didn't like it. They wanted to, to me to sort of overhaul it. And I lost all confidence in trying to do it. So I had to, in order to get some confidence back, I had to go back to the drawing board and write some British television again. I had to write what I knew. So I went back and I wrote something set in Bristol and it was really close to me again. And I kind of blocked out this whole Hollywood experience that had left my head spinning. And I thought, I'm just going to park it for a minute because they're, they're, they're not going anywhere and they're ready for, they're waiting for me. So I just need to get back to myself creatively before mm. I can move forward. And I wrote a TV spec and it came together really fast and then it did really well. It, it went out to the broadcasters and we, we, it did really well and it opened more doors for me in the UK. But I, I, it's, it was such an important failure to not deliver a decent feature at that time because it taught me to not ignore my process, that I have to do it properly. You can't be led by, you know, crazy enthusiasm and excitement. You have to actually do the work properly. And unless you've got that correct, the story's right, and you really believe in it, it's ultimately just not going to happen for you. It's not, it's not going to, you're not going to get the desired effect from it. So I learned a hugely valuable lesson when that happened. So yeah pretty massive so it's a long-winded story but it's that that's that's it it's a very it's a, it's a very good story to be fair i was i was like i like that on my own podcast when i when i feel like i'm listening to someone on a podcast talking i'm like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're actually so you have to you have to chip in here which is always a good sign so thank you very much <laughs> Just for a time, I'll start to, to wrap things up. I don't want to get in trouble for being away from work, too. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. No, You're absolutely. on the clock, mate. You're on the I know, clock. I know. But sorry, another question we ask everyone that comes on the podcast, of course, the name of our podcast, but what's the sort of worst real job or worst part-time job you'd ever had to work to support your art? Because you I mean, everyone's got a fun answer for that. Do you know what? I, I, before I came on, I was I was trying to make a list because I was like, God, I've had loads of jobs. I've had loads yeah. of loads of shit jobs all through my time. And they range from, I've worked in central London pubs. I've worked in a bakery, a coffee shop. I've cleaned offices um, before mm. people have come in. I've ironed hotel linen. I've worked in sales for a website company and I've worked as a receptionist in multiple different places, but they've all kind of been <laughs> various different shit jobs that I'd had to keep going. But I think the worst one was probably cleaning the offices because we had to go in to these offices and like clean between people's keyboards and yeah, stuff like that with like, yeah. you had to use a ruler to get all the shit yeah. out from in oh, between no. their keypads. And it was just... It was completely demoralizing because of the detail we had to go into. It was a very good service. Don't get me wrong, because we were very detailed. <laughs> but I was just like, oh, God, you know, I, I, there's got to be something else that I can do that can just not kill me so much that that doesn't take away too much. And But it was always it always had to be something that was low maintenance, an easy job that I could that didn't require my brain so that yeah. my brain could be free to create when i wasn't in it but i'd say that was probably the shittest oh god no i mean it's just a good question for us to ask because everyone everyone's worked bad jobs and like it you know it, we all have and even in this oh, it has to be done 
Yeah. It has to be, especially if you're creative. If you're yeah. working in the creative industries, you have to get used to it. You know, unless you're doing what you're doing, which is you're going down an adjacent route and you're doing both. You're like script editing and writing, or you're able to work on a production sneaky. company while you're writing. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's brilliant. And that's why Scribe Lounge is great for me now, now that I'm further down the line, because yeah. it's it's a it's a job that requires me to talk about what my other job is what my real job is and so it matches and the only time when I finally found balance was when I got a job as a receptionist at a gym and all I had to do was stand on reception and talk to people and it required none of me like I didn't have to give any of myself Mm. I barely even told anybody I was a writer because it it was like my secret little thing that I just kept to myself and it was the first time in my life I got balance and I was happy I was paying the bills and at the same time I was creating to my to my fullest. It took me years to find that balance. Yeah, absolutely. No, um, I was going to say, you, I mean, you've given some great advice throughout. You can just give it advice there, but the last question is sort of just to round up what, what your advice to other writers and to just anyone who wants to work in the arts would be. But I mean, this has been a great, great chat so far. But um, if you could just sort of summarise, that would be amazing. It, it's probably It's probably to keep going keep writing because we you know this the creative industry whether you're a screenwriter whether you're an actor whether you know you even want to be a producer and you want to climb a ladder you have to be resilient you have to just keep going you have to keep going you have to be the one who won't give up I've had so many times in my career where I've been stood in the kitchen with my partner just pacing around going I can't do it anymore I can't do it anymore you know but at the same time knowing in my heart I'm not giving up I just don't know how long my body can take it and that's that's it really I think you just have to know that you won't give up and you need to find a way to facilitate that not giving up so that you don't break yourself trying to do it you have to find a balance and find room and if you keep going if you particularly in writing and screenwriting if you keep writing if you keep trying again and again you will get better and then you will be ready for that opportunity when it comes because yeah. they come those opportunities do come because good writing and if you're good at your job you know if you're good script editor or anything like that you will rise up and the opportunities will present themselves so if you can just be that one that won't give up and won't stop you'll you'll do all right 100 percent. you've got to go after those a thousand failures or a hundred failures yeah yeah Yeah. fill up your 100 rejection (laughs) i just love that so much honestly fill it up man and absolutely go for it because otherwise you're not going to gain anything by not trying are you you're still nowhere whereas if you try a hundred times you know you only need one of those things to work and one of those openings and then trust me once people start believing in you you only need one person to believe in you you can use that person who believed in you to get the next person to believe in you. And then that's how it works. That's how it snowballs. So yeah, absolutely. Resilience. Keep going. Thank you so much for your time today, James. This has been great. I've loved this conversation. It's great to be back doing absolute the podcast. It was great to you, for you to be the first guest of season two as well. Thank you. Oh, thanks, man. No, absolute <laughs> pleasure. Thank you very much. You did so very fun. well. I managed to not sneeze. Well. I managed you to did. not sneeze you, the whole time. Um, you, you've done very well. <laughs> and for anybody that can't see Jamie, obviously, he's done really well to hold it together and still sound professional. So I'm really impressed, mate. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. It was lovely to meet you. So there you have it. That was my conversation with screenwriter James Capel. Thank you very much, James, for coming on the podcast. It was great to finally get you on and finally speak to you. And thanks again for bearing with me and my horrible cold. I was sort of spluttering my way through that a wee bit, but we, we got there, we got there. And that was just some great advice and all that. So remember, if you are a screenwriter, please go and get involved with Scribe Lounge. It's an incredible community. Cannot recommend it enough. And there's links to that in the show notes. And as always, if you enjoyed this week's episode or if you just enjoy this podcast in general, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media just to help people discover the podcast that might they might get something from it and you know they might like enjoy it as much as you
you and it's always good to you know help out podcasts especially independent ones like us and also if you can afford it i appreciate it's a you know it's been a difficult couple of years of covid and everything but if you can afford to donate as little as a pound a month you can also sign up to our patreon page and all the money we make it goes back into this podcast it goes back into making this podcast sound as good as it can be and you can donate to that by clicking the link in the show notes. Um, it's been a while since I've done one of these, so I think I've got everything. But thank you very much for listening to the podcast again after so long. If this was your first time listening, I hope you enjoyed. Please go and check out our back catalogue. We've got lots and lots of great episodes with people like James. So go and check them out. Anyway, it was great to be back. And we'll be back again at the usual time of Tuesday next week with more episodes of Just Get A Real Job. Have a lovely week. Just get a real job.